everybody, if you could grab a seat. I hate to interrupt. Go ahead and grab a seat if you would. Open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. How's everybody doing today? You doing well? Yeah. All right. Ready for another 100-degree day? No. <laughs> me, me, me either. Uh, Casey, our new worship leader from Texas. Stephen Collins, he lived in Arizona. I live in Arizona. We shouldn't have 100-degree days here in Oregon. So anyway, if you're new here, welcome. Um, if you're not new here, welcome back. If you're online, welcome. Uh, this is going to be a fun day in the Gospel of John chapter 13. We're in a series called Encountering Jesus, Encountering Jesus. And my name is Steve Marshman. I fill in once in a while. As you know, Jose's on sabbatical. He'll be back, I believe, in uh, September. But... I don't keep his calendar. I really don't know when I'll be back. So, <laughs> uh, so this week, John chapter 13, we're going to cover verses 1 through 17. And it's one beautiful story. And we're just going to dive right in to verse 1 of John 13. Because verse 1 is an introduction. It'll set the stage. And then instead of reading the whole passage, we're going to take it in four chunks today. So here we go. John chapter 13, verse 1. You guys ready for this? Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited because this is just an epic story. So uh, hopefully I don't get ahead of myself. John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So let's just talk about how John introduces what's going on here. He starts with... It's just before the Passover festival. And if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, totally cool. The, there was an annual Passover festival that celebrated the Israelites' exodus from Egypt after about 400 years of slavery. And the way that story went down is when God rescued his people, he had them take the blood of a lamb, mark the doors of their houses, and then when the plague came, it passed over, that's where the name comes from, it passed over their houses and they were saved from the plague. And then here in the Gospels, what's going to happen as Jesus plays out the New Testament, New Covenant, is the Passover story changes a bit because Jesus becomes the final Passover lamb, the last final sacrifice. And when his blood is shed on the cross, that is the last Passover. And what happens is this is the Last Supper story. And the Last Supper, in a way, replaces the Passover celebration. So now we don't celebrate Passover anymore, do we, as Christians? Now, Messianic Jews do, and that's a very wonderful ceremony. You should attend one if you have a chance. But as a church, we celebrate the Last Supper, and we call it communion. And we're going to do it today, and I think today is going to be a special communion because of this Story. Well, a few days earlier, if we rewind, because we're jumping into chapter 13, if we rewind to chapter 12, it was Palm Sunday. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and he said this famous saying, Jesus talking, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Up to this point, he was saying, my time has not come. It's not come. It's not come. And now he's saying, my time has come. And John reminds us in verse 1. That Jesus knows the time for him to suffer, die on the cross, rise again, 
and then be ascended into heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father. That time has come. The time is going to happen real soon. You see, John 13 is the beginning of Jesus' farewell message to his, uh, his disciples. And then, by the way, it'll last all the way through chapter 17. We're not going to go to chapter 17. We're going to go to verse 17. So don't worry. All right. John then records that Jesus loved his own, his disciples. And it says all the way to the end. And if you study the Bible and you study the different way folks write, John has this unique thing. He tends to write with double meanings. And this is one of his double meanings. To the end means to the end of his life, which is going to happen just in just a few hours. But it also means to the uttermost, to the highest degree. Jesus' love is like no other love. And he loves his own to the end like no other. And I want you just to stop with me for a second and realize and know that this entire passage is grounded in Christ's love for his own. So that whole time we're listening to the rest of the passage, picture Jesus' love like a spotlight shining down. And it's so bright, it's so much love, you can't look at it, but it covers everything else that we say. Well, let's move on to verse 2 through 5. Verses 2 through 5. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to portray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this might be a familiar story to you, but we're going to dig into the details because the details here are important. It was the evening meal. It was the Passover meal. It was the Last Supper. And notice the combination of two facts here. The devil was already working in Judas, and the Father had given Jesus all power. Jesus could have confronted Satan right there, but he didn't. The disciples were probably reclining around the table on these thin mats, and the table is probably really low. It's almost like they're on the floor. Jesus' actions here were that of a lowly servant. He takes off his outer clothing and wraps a towel around his waist. He washes their feet. Now, this is how menial servants dressed and acted. And this is utterly shocking to the disciples. Because Jesus, their Lord and Master, lowers his status. And when I say lower, I mean really lower. Because even Jewish servants, Jewish slave servants, didn't wash people's feet. That was reserved for Gentile servants and slaves. Most likely, none of the disciples ever washed anybody else's feet because they weren't Gentile slaves. They weren't Gentile servants. So Jesus lowers himself to a point that is just off the charts. The disciples are speechless, except for Peter later. We'll see that. They're speechless. They don't know what to say. They say, Jesus, Jesus, you're the rabbi, you're our Lord. To have him wash their feet was unthinkable. What's going on here is really, really fascinating to me. Jesus is pointing us to the humility he would experience on the cross. In just a few hours, Jesus, the Son of God, would humble himself 
to the point of death on the cross. So you may not have noticed, but this whole feet washing scene points to the cross. It's actually an acted out parable. It's a parable that Jesus doesn't speak. He acts out, and the whole parable points to the cross. Let's continue in verse 6. Jesus, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Again, Peter says, this is unthinkable. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm, going to, what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Verse 8, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. I have an asterisk in my paper Bible next to that phrase. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. So there's a lot going on here in this dialogue. There's a lot going on. We should notice again that Jesus is acting out a parable. It's an illustrated teaching, if you will. And, And in this encounter, Jesus, again, he's pointing forward to the cross. And this is the significant portion of the way that the parable works. He's using washing as a metaphor for forgiveness of sins and salvations. Washing here is a metaphor. All the disciples were saved except Judas. All the disciples were clean, washed clean, except for Judas. And Peter doesn't quite get it, does he? I was reading some commentaries about this passage, and one one commentator said that Peter's response was unrestrained, thoughtless exuberance. How would you like to go down in history as that? But frankly... You guys know me fairly well because I speak enough. That would have been me. I, I, I speak without engaging my mind often. I think most of you can relate on some level. But let's not throw Peter under the bus. Because he doesn't get it all. But what he does get, what Peter does get, is the significance of Jesus saying, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Because Peter responds like, wash everything then. He gets the significance there. See, in the NIV, it says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. The ESV says, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. The New Living Translation says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. These are all sobering statements. But with the help of the teaching team this week, I had time to really think about this, really meditate on this. And after just... just letting this passage, that one line, marinate in my soul for hours, I notice this. Every translation focuses on what Jesus does. And in our culture, and me too, for years, I've read this focusing on the second half of that statement. No part of me. You don't belong with me. But Jesus is saying, unless I wash you. If there's a way to summarize this parable, I think that's it. Unless I wash you. This parable is about Jesus. Because he's saying, let me wash you. He's saying, let me love you. Receive my love. Join me. 
Jesus is saying, I love you so much, I'm going to humble myself and wash your feet. Again, realizing how low he put himself to be there. Jesus is saying, I love you so much, I'm going to humble myself to the point of death on a cross. Which, by the way, if you study crucifixion, it's an incredibly humiliating way to die. Jesus is saying, I love you so much, I'm the final Passover lamb, a lowly, humble lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And yeah, Peter doesn't get all that. We wouldn't have either. But he gets this important part. And he says, yes, Lord, wash me. I receive your love. Sadly, Judas rejected Jesus. Even though Jesus washed Judas' feet, this is fascinating. Even though Jesus washed Judas' feet, he wasn't fully clean because Judas rejected Jesus. So we haven't even gotten to the application yet, but there's a word here for us. If you're here today and your life is a struggle, Jesus is here by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's saying, let me wash you. Let me love you. Just receive that. Now, before we move on, we need to notice one thing. Jesus says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Remember, this is the beginning of Jesus' farewell message to his disciples. He's given us an illustration of how the life of a disciple is going to work. When we say yes to Jesus, we join the family of God, but we still live in a sinful, broken world. We still sin. Unfortunately, when we walk through life, and in the metaphor, we walk through life and we get our feet dirty, don't we? So we need to go to Jesus again, again, and again to have our feet washed, to have our life cleansed, daily remembering that he wants to wash us, he wants to love us, daily remembering that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In 1876, interesting year because it's exactly 100 years after uh, the United States became a nation, Robert Lowry wrote a hymn, then, and it stood the test of time, perhaps you've heard of it, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The worship band's going to wonderfully sing it for us later when we take communion. But the lyrics go like this. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What could make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Interestingly, when I found that song after it just popped into my head for no reason, I was looking up the lyrics and I discovered that the original version the way Robert Lowry originally wrote it, was what can wash away my stain? And then later it got changed to my sin. See, as we walk through life, we get stained. My feet get stained because of the broken world we live in and because of my sin, we get stained and we need to go to Jesus and get cleaned up. This is such an important point I want to illustrate with an illustration that I actually shared with the church, I think it was eight years ago. Anybody here eight years ago? Okay, there's, all right, so this won't be too much of a repeat for too many people. But my lovely daughter, who's actually in the back today, uh, and she's 30, right? Okay. It keeps changing. Keeps changing. 30, 30 with three kids. But this was when she was about three, so a long time ago. She was a wonderfully delightful, exuberant child, and... Um, 
She was a toddler that loved to color. And in our craft, in our family room, we had this craft table and we had a rule. You're allowed to color on the craft table, but the room was carpeted. Parents of toddlers know where this story's going. Don't color on the carpet. Well, guess what Jamie did, right? She colors, she gets the carpet all kinds of nasty, dirty. And this is so long ago. We didn't have all those fancy markers we have now where you just wash it off. So, you know, we were trying to be the good disciplining parents in the right way and love and all that and show her, you know, the rules, all that stuff. And so after a little bit of light discipline, she repented and uh, we forgave her and everything was good or so we thought. And I learned something that day because Jamie was just this happy-go-lucky, fun-loving kid. And every time she went into the room to play, her eyes would go to the stain on the floor. Because I couldn't get it out. And even though she was forgiven, even though she repented, the stain was still there. So one night I got some industrial strength carpet cleaner and it took a couple hours. But I got the stain out. And the next time Jamie came down to the room, I'm watching her and her eyes go over there. And the stain is gone and her face just beams. Because now... Not only are her sins are forgiven, but her stain is gone. That's what 1 John 1, 9 teaches, teaches us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins. And so many times we stop there. Anybody know what the rest of the verse says? And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's what today's message to you, to me, from Jesus is. I want to wash you. I want to cleanse you. I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Well, as we, as we said before, Peter's not getting all of this at this level by any means, but he will later. Now, the fascinating thing to me is that at this point in the parable, it's over, right? And the passage isn't over. And one of the things as pastors, preachers, whatever, we, whenever we read a passage... We have to work, like, what's the application? What's our response? I didn't have to work this week because it's right here. Jesus himself tells us how to respond and apply the parable. Jesus himself tells us how we should live our lives in response of this. And remember, Jesus is about to die in just a few hours. The timing of these instructions is massively important. Jesus is giving the disciples he loves kind of like final marching orders. Like this is my, one of my final messages to my disciples. So let's see what he says in verse 12. We'll go all the way to the end of the passage. Verse 12. Jesus speaking. When he had finished washing their feet, so the acted out parables over, he put on his clothes, he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. A rhetorical question. Because everybody in the room knew the answer is nope. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so. For that is what I am. Even though I just washed your feet as a menial slave. Now that I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly I tell you no servant is greater than his master. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So again, Jesus is done acting out the parable, and he tells us 
how to respond to it. He puts his clothes back on. He probably returns to the table and gets down on a thin mat and just jo- excuse me, joins the dinner crowd. He asks, do you understand what I have done for you? And they don't really fully, so he tells them. You see, this foot-washing encounter, before today, you might have thought, oh, it's just kind of a nice story, but it's packed with meaning. It's got salvation, it's got forgiveness of sins, it's got the devil's influence, it's got betrayal, it's got humility, it's got service, it's got a blessing at the end. I mean, Jesus knows how to condense and get the message across, doesn't he? All those topics are incredibly important, and we should think and know all of those. But the one thing I want to focus the rest of our time on today is what Jesus focuses on. He says, one thing you should do. One thing you should do. Because Jesus literally says, you should wash one another's feet. You should do as I have done for you. And some of us are sitting here like, what are we going to do now? Are we going to get out bowls and vases and wash each other's feet? Some churches do that. I think it's a beautiful ceremony. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But most scholars, most churches think that's not what Jesus meant for us to do, although it is a beautiful ceremony. Most scholars don't take that as literal instructions because it's an acted-out parable, and Jesus himself says, I'm giving you an example Let's not forget how this whole passage began. Remember I told you at the beginning, it's grounded in love. Love is like a spotlight on this whole passage. This passage is about Christ's love for his disciples. And in our culture, love has become more of a feeling than an action. But in this culture, in the way the Gospels talk about love... Love is an action. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. That was a loving action. And it was an act that points to the cross, which, by the way, Jesus goes to the cross. That's an action. He dies on the cross. That's an action. God the Father loved the world so much, John 3, 16, that he did what? He gave his son. He just didn't have a good feeling about his people. He gave his son. And, of course, the mother of all actions is Jesus saying, anyone who, loves me, anyone who loves me will do what? Obey my commands. Just not think about my commands or feel good about my commands, but do something, action, obey my commands. Jesus, in verse 15, says, I have set an example that you should do. This is the example of how we're to love one another. And later In the chapter, which we won't get to, John records that that's how Jesus gives us a new commandment. You should love one another as I have loved you. And this is how people are going to know you're Christians, by your love for one another. This love Jesus has for us is so deep, so wide, so big, so huge, so humbling, it should completely and totally motivate us to do the same and to love others. What Jesus is saying to his disciples and to you and me is we should humbly serve one another. And I'm changing love to serve because it's an action verb. You should humbly serve one another as I have served you. Jesus just beautifully beautifully served the disciples by washing their feet. And in a couple of hours, he's going to beautifully serve the disciples by dying on a cross for them. 
And you're going to be blessed if you do this. Because anybody that served knows that's where the real blessing in life comes from, right? I mean, that's where the real abundant life that Jesus talks about. So the question for us today, if it's not literal feet washing, what is it? How, how do we do this in 2022? What does feet washing look like in the 21st century? How are we going to figure this out? Well, today we're going to do something a little different. I asked the elders, they gave me permission to do this. Because I think this, this teaching from Jesus is so pivotal to how we live our lives. I want it to stick. And at this point in the message, typically what would happen is whoever's teaching or preaching would give you a bunch of examples of what 21st feet washing looks like. I'm going to give you a couple. But then we're going to do something different. You're going to help. We're going to split up into groups of three or five. And all the introverts in the crowd's heart just stopped. It's just not pumping blood right now. I know because I'm married to one. Hi, Vicky, at home, by the way. Um, but trust me, we're not going to ask you to pray out loud. We're, we're not going to ask you to lead communion. This is going to be really, really easy. Because one of the things that I've learned about how people learn is there's something called passive listening and there's something called active listening. And for the most part, when the preacher teacher's up here, you're listening passively. Hopefully, a little bit of activity, but it could be like a Zoom call where you kind of, ooh, where did that last 10 minutes go? Uh, that's passive listening. It could be so passive you go to sleep. But active listening is more engaging. It's a discussion. It's a dialogue. It's not a monologue. And the thing about pass, I mean, active listening is it tends to stick. So here's, here's how we're going to do this. In just a little bit, I'm going to have you get into groups of three to five. And um, I'm going to have you come up with your own examples. If, and like I said, if you're an introvert, introvert don't worry. We're going to make it easy. So there's a slide coming up now. This is all you have to do. This, this can be so easy. The first thing, because we're going to do a solid 10 minutes, by the way. We're going to do a solid 10 minutes of this together. So I left plenty of time. We're good on time. Share your name with the group. Let me demonstrate. My name is Steve. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, that's, it reminds me of Vince, was it Vince Lombardi? He said when his team was having, this is a football. And the guy in the front said, slow down, coach, you're going too fast. Great quote. Um, but my name is Steve. Go around a circle, do that. Get to know each other just a little bit. And then answer this question, what is humbly serving one another look like in 2022? And then text your best idea to that phone number and do it during the 10 minutes. Now, please, 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 Stephen Collins, really smart guy. He's going to be collecting these and sitting through them. Make them clear and concise so it could be summarized quickly. Because I'm going to try to share some of these at the end of the gathering. Think of this as like a brainstorming session. There's no wrong answers. There's only ideas. And to get your minds primed, let me give you just a couple. Uh, one of the easiest ways to serve, humbly serve one another, is to serve at the church. The biggest need at the church right now is teardown. After this gathering, all this stuff needs to be torn down. 
That's where we're the most short of volunteers. So that's one easy, humble way to serve. Uh, most of you know that my wife has cancer, and she's to the point where she can't put her socks and shoes on. So staying with the foot metaphor, I put her socks and shoes on. And that's actually more humbling for her, and she has to let me love her in that way. But maybe you notice an elderly neighbor has struggling to get, take their garbage out. So you go up to that neighbor and say, you know what? I'm going to take your garbage out every week. Here's an example that's kind of a, it's almost like a two-for-one special. My good friend Doug and his wife Terry. Uh, Terry's parents are elderly, and they live in California. And uh, her dad had this really difficult hand surgery. So they went down to California to stay with her parents for a couple months. I think it was six weeks to take care of the parents while he healed. But here's the two-for-one part. At the time, we had a car in the shop, and the parts were on back order for about a decade, it seemed. So we were out of a car. Doug goes, hey, I'm going to be gone. Take my car. He just loans me his car for six weeks. It was really, really nice. You guys getting the idea? Okay, so in just a second, I'm going to say break. You have complete, total permission to totally mess up the chairs. In fact, I want you to do that. Put the chairs in a circle, three to five. Try to make sure nobody's excluded. And there's going to be some staff coming around to help. If you have a question, raise your hand. But when you get a good idea, don't wait to the end of the 10 minutes. As soon as you get a good idea and somebody goes, that's a good idea, text to that number. Okay? All right. Let's do it. 10 minutes. Go now. All right. So first of all, could we give a warm thank you to all the people like my lovely bride who's not here today? And she knew this was happening, but that's not the reason she stayed home. She just really, really wasn't feeling home, feeling well today. But can we give a round of applause to the introverts that did that? Thank you. Thank you. Next time we're going to, instead of two minutes, we're going to do 15 minutes of, of out loud. No, just kidding. All right, let me just give you some of the ideas um, that came through. And these are in no order. Just Stephen pulled a few as they came in. So if yours is not on here, it doesn't mean it's a bad idea. It's just there's like 60 ideas. So awesome, awesome job. Here we go. Look for the mom with her hands full with little kids and offer help. And all the moms said, amen. amen. Doing household chores to help your parents before you're asked. Okay, what? Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Helping friends with young kids by watching their kids to give them a break or a date night without charging. Ha, ha, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Actually, uh, just a story popped to my mind. When my oldest daughter, Kelsey, we were doing a function at church once, and it was raising money for uh, something, and this, this gal really wanted to go, but she was very, very poor, and she offered to babysit and just refused to take money. So that, that actually works. Next one, not pretending to sleep slash waiting for my spouse deals uh, with it when the baby wakes up in the middle of the night. <laughs> Give up my personal time to help an older friend and visit with her. Oh, that's beautiful. Helping elderly with technology and questions. Now, whoever wrote that, please come up to me and define elderly because... Take a meal to a sick friend, serving in children or youth ministry, especially so parents can engage. And I love this last one because it's just, you know, sometimes 
You can do big things. Sometimes the little things help. Take someone out to coffee. Water your neighbor's plants, you know, just the love of Jesus. Well, I just hope that this sticks. Like I said, the whole idea of this exercise was you go from passive listening to active listening. Uh, What the team is going to pray for this week as we look through the rest of the ideas is that many, many of these things get done this week by you guys and by us because that is the love of Jesus. So uh, let me just close in prayer, and then I'll tell you where we're going to go from here. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to inspire us with these ideas that are truly, truly the love of Jesus flowing through us. We want to be part of you, Jesus. We want to receive your love. We want to receive your grace today. May you bless this last time of worship together. In Jesus' name.